This is Invest Talk. Independent thinking, shared success. Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to take your finance and investment questions and share their unbiased answers. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. The clarity for your path forward starts now. Here is KPP Chief Executive Officer, Financial Advisor, Justin Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our Friday, December 15th, 2023 edition. And it is a special Friday because we have Luke Guerrero back with us, who doesn't usually join us on Fridays, but he's here with us today. Thanks for being here, Luke. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to uh, get one step closer to the weekend, minute by minute. Minute by minute. But before we hit the weekend, we still have work to do. The work is taking that next step in your own journey to financial freedom. Everyone starts at a different place and they want to end in a different place, but the fundamentals are largely the same. So our goal is to instill those fundamentals, give you the proper data and perspective, develop the over 20 plus years of investment experience. Now, we're going to run down the market performance for today, as well as the show topics that we're going to cover for the next hour. But as usual, we're going to hit our first caller question now. Hey, this is Andrew from Atlanta, uh, trying to reach Justin, Luke, or Steve, big fan of the show, calling about ticker symbol ERF, that's Interplus corporation if i could please hear your uh, analysis of this stock i'll listen to the podcast and i do greatly appreciate it thank you all right looking at enter plus erf is the symbol we actually own this for clients we've owned it for some time in our cover call strategy and yields about 1.4 percent this is a canadian emp name and while earnings are supposed to dip this year due to lower oil prices Next year, this is supposed to rise back to an all-time high of nearly $3 per share, trading at about $15. That's a pretty nice multiple, right? Five times forward-looking earnings, pretty cheap. Uh, historically, nicely profitable, good balance sheet. So we like it. Anything you want to add there, Luke? No, just low debt. You know, a lot of it's... A lot of it's- Price return is going to be related to how energy markets are doing. So, mm-hmm. as with as with any other name in this sector, it's it's a solid name. That's why we hold it for clients. Yeah, and it's small cap, about a three billion dollar market cap, but its history of profitability right now, its return on equity is sixty one percent. Now, historically, profitability isn't that high, but on a, the, the five year median is twenty one percent. So, very profitable, as Luke said. Strong balance sheet good cash flows. And I know the dividend doesn't sound great, 1.5%, but their payout ratio is only 7%. means that their ability to raise that dividend over time is certainly there. And they started to do that back in 2021, and they continue to march that dividend higher. So uh, we like Interplus, and yeah, it's a good name for a small cap EMP name. All right, let's cover... What we have to cover over the next 40 minutes, there's a lot. Our main focus point is set up by this story. Inflation impact on oil demand is raising investor concerns. So we're going to talk about positioning in the energy markets, energy consumption, and how energy demand will impact inflation. And 
We also have other topics. One is in regards to something I wanted to cover yesterday, but I think it's even better we're covering it today with Luke. And it's about uh, a hedge fund, or no, he, is he a hedge fund manager? AQR is a hedge yeah. fund. Yeah, AQR, hedge fund manager. Talking about how he studied markets all his career, and he always thought markets were very efficient, and he's saying they're becoming more and more less efficient, which is interesting considering the deluge of data that we can all get uh, pretty much at our fingertips. So we're going to look at that. Also, markets are pretty much pricing in a soft landing. Now that the Fed has, has firmly pivoted, they're in a pause and wait and see mode and likely cut mode next year, the market has rallied. So the big question is, is the market price of perfection? So we're going to look at that. And then lastly, banks hadn't done well for most of the year until rates started to fall. But is are our falling rates the simple panacea for the banking industry? So we're going to look at that story as well. We also have some voice bank questions on losses and interests, as well as Deer Company and it's Friday, so we'll run down some excerpts of the newest KPP premium newsletter that comes out tomorrow. And we hope to get to an iTunes review question as well. Now let's talk about the market performance today. Luke, it was option X day. So a lot of a lot of gyrations. Market clearly overbought after the huge surge, especially on in the small cap space over the last week. But today, a little bit of setback. So modest down day going into the weekend. Anything yeah. you notice for you? Yeah, modest down day. First off, Option X that would be a great sci-fi series title. That would be a fantastic title. But Option as X. for the markets, uh, you know, the, the S&P 500 equal weight index trailed the S&P 500 by nearly 80 basis points. So that was more significantly down. The overall, the overall cap-weighted index was really just propped up by some of those big tech names. And that was really on the back of New York's... Uh, uh, Fed President Williams, who's a voting member, who kind of pushed back on the on the notion that there was going to be a an abrupt and quick pivot, and said, "Hold on a second, guys, uh, maybe we should calm down a little bit." And so the market was was down a little bit because of that after that huge rally the past couple of days. Yeah, I think I th- I think the Fed doesn't like to see this reaction. I don't think they're very happy with the reaction in the markets uh, over the past few days. They don't want to ease financial conditions so much that inflation starts to turn. You know, in some ways, they talked about how their job is done. It's 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 finished on the inflation fighting front. Now, they left the door open for them to refocus on that. Uh, but I don't think they want to have to do that. So, you know, and, and Fed impact, the Fed impact on markets isn't just about the Fed meeting day. It's about the speeches that they make, the interviews they do with, with, uh, with media, et cetera. And they tend to have a unified narrative. And to me, this is one of the first Fed members to come out post the meeting, and they were more hawkish. Um, and I think that is something you're probably going to see more is uh, they're trying to talk down, you know, using forward guidance to get interest rates maybe back up a little bit, tighten financial conditions a little bit in order to kind of quell any potential resurgence in inflation. So that was the message that I got from that. What, what was your takeaway? 
Yeah, I think that's that's pretty accurate. But it was interesting to me that in the actual meeting and in the actual press conference, Jay Powell didn't push back a little bit more and allowed the market to to get that perception in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, but certainly, I do agree with you that that Williams did a good job at least beating it back and maybe maybe healing some of the wounds. Because what you don't want is <laughs> purely Fed speak to cause a resurgence in inflation after a hard, hard fought 19 months or so. So I think, I think what was said was good. I think the market took a, took a pause. Uh, I think it's probably the best outcome. And I guess we just got to wait and see. Yeah. And the dollar moved down pretty substantially Wednesday and yesterday. And today it had a nice little rebound gold pulled back a little bit. So yeah, I think the market doesn't want a one-way street, or the Fed doesn't want a one-way street in the market. Uh, they want a little bit more uncertainty and maybe some maybe some discipline uh, from the market and not to get too ahead of itself on their uh, Fed rate cuts, which the market is uh, certainly priced in. All right, now we have a holiday giveaway contest, and you can enter it's a free copy of Steve's book, and it's autographed by Steve as well, Above Average Investing for the Average Investor. To enter, all you have to do is like our Instagram post, our holiday giveaway post, Let tag three friends, and follow us on Instagram and on our YouTube channel as well. We'll pick one winner until the end of the month, every day from the end of the month. All right, my phone lines are open, waiting for your questions at 888-99-CHART. Every investor is working to build a secure financial future. Would this be an opportune time to get into annuities? Everyone's situation is different. Get your thoughts on CRM, Salesforce. And so are their questions. And I was just calling for your assessment of Blackstone Incorporated. To get your take on Chewy. Ticker symbol L-E-C-O. Just wanted to get your opinion on JP Morgan. Invest Talk hosts Justin Klein. You know, I'm okay paying a fair price for a very good business. Steve Peasley. It's a very well-run company. And now Luke Guerrero. EBITDA growth is significantly higher than its competitors. Are ready to provide their unbiased answers. Each podcast is unique and you set the agenda. I will. Hey, hi, Steve. 24-7, rain or shine, InvestTalk is made better by the power of you. Call 888-99-CHART. This is Invest Talk. For serious investors, it's all about achieving financial freedom. That's why the unbiased guidance offered by Stephen Justin is so valuable. The Invest Talk Anytime listener lines are open now, and Stephen Justin welcome your questions. Call 888 99 Chart. Let's go talk to Richard in Santa Clarita, and he's looking at Invitation Homes, a REIT that owns a bunch of single-family homes throughout America. Do you own it or looking to buy it? Uh, I was looking to, to buy it. I do have uh, a small position in V&Q, uh, so kind of on the you know, on the commercial side. And I know how you what you've said about office space uh, REITs and so forth to, to avoid them. But uh, the residential uh, areas, what I was looking to try to maybe uh, buy – and so, I was looking at this particular REIT, do you think it's a good one for the long term? Well, here's my issue with 
invitation homes, and you say you own VNQ. That's just kind of a broad-based REIT ETF that, that you own there. Uh, and it, invitation homes as broken down in relation to that ETF. So it's drastically underperformed on this rebound due to lower interest rates. Invitation homes has struggled to make new highs. Whereas VNQ, pull that up here. Sorry, clicked on the wrong screen. VNQ is at near the highest level since March. And Imitation Homes is still below its high from July and had a pretty bad down day today. And what you're seeing actually across the country are the rents falling. Now, there's probably more rent pressure when it comes to apartments than there is single family homes. But I don't like this relative underperformance here. Uh, it, it's, ex- I think, expensive, trading in the mid-20s times forward-looking funds from operation. The growth has certainly slowed. Revenue growth slowed to 9% and 8% the last two quarters, respectively, from the mid-teens a year ago. So, you know, of the, in the REIT space, this doesn't do it for me. What are your thoughts, Luke? Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you. I think, uh, especially in the REIT space, Probably the way to go is a more broadly diversified ETF. I think I think what Invitation Homes does have for it, though, is geographical diversification. So they got mm-hmm. properties in Seattle, Phoenix, Las Vegas, Denver, Tampa, Chicago, all over the place. That's good. They don't have too much debt, but like you said, the market's telling you something when it when it is underperforming the index like that in such a such a strong way. Yeah, and diversity is good. However, when you have exposure to, say, Seattle, for example, that can be an issue, right? Because people are moving out of uh, tech hubs like Seattle, like the Bay Area, and over 70, 70% of its portfolio is in the Western United States, okay? And I, I just, it just doesn't do it for me. Yeah, this just doesn't do it for me. Uh, I think there are better opportunities out there in the REIT space. And frankly, REITs in a rising rate environment are not a great place to be. Now, now they are, right? Now you're getting a resurgence because rates have fallen and they may do well for kind of the short to, to medium term. But if you are in a longer term rate uh, rising rate environment, you've seen what that's done to, to REITs over the past 18 to 24 months. That's that's probably creating a longer-term downtrend in REITs. So you have to be very, very selective, and you need ones that are outperforming the index, and this just simply is not. So I'm passing on imitation homes. Thanks for the call, Richard. Now we're moving into a break, and we welcome your calls, and the hour moves by fast. So I encourage you, if you're thinking about calling, pick up the phone. We welcome your questions about anything money-related at 888-99-CHART. The stock market is volatile. It's constantly changing. So how are you positioned? Is your portfolio properly balanced or are you taking unnecessary risks? You can get guidance anytime for free if you go to investtalk.com and take the brief risk-alized quiz. 8899 chart, 8899242784278. Now our main focus point is set up by this story inflation 
impact on oil demand is raising investor concerns. And that is manifesting in very, very bearish positioning within the oil markets. And hedge funds have cut their bullish bets on crude oil to the to record lows due to a couple of reasons. One is increasing U.S. inventories. Fear of OPEC not fully following through on their promises to cut production and in January. And then you also have fears of, you know, the economy getting weaker. And money managers have slashed their net long positions on both WTI and Brent crude oil to the lowest levels since 2011. Think about that. And mainly this is not just cutting of long bets, right? Bets to the prices will go up, but also pressing short bets, short only bets on the price of oil reached the highest level in nearly four years. So Luke, the question is, is the market getting over positioned and is this setting up for a potential short covering rally? That's a good question, but I think that the reasons why the market is positioning itself in such a way are, are legitimate reasons. You see what's happening in, in the Red Sea with the potential for a flare-up in Middle Eastern tensions with, I've never known how to pronounce the name of this company, Maersk? 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 Maersk. However Maersk. you pronounce it, the shipping Maersk. giant. Yeah. Yeah. And another shipping giant just cutting off all shipping through the Red Sea, effective mm-hmm. immediately. Um, so you have some issues there. You have really what started the sell-off today was a New York Federal Reserve Bank manufacturing survey which showed a third month of declines uh, in new orders, which could be a sign of of a weaker demand for oil in the coming year. So I think generally the reasons why this positioning is happening are legitimate. And typically when people overextend themselves off of fear, that's when you see short squeezes, but I just don't necessarily see that being the case this time. Yeah, there's certainly lower demand drivers. The EIA lowered its crude oil forecast for next year. And they also estimated that OPEC plus will production will fall another 600 barrels next year as well. So, you know, there's kind of that tug on both sides. Obviously, OPEC plus and the plus is Russia. They don't want oil to fall too far, especially... Because Russia is trying to finance a war, their sanctions on them certainly are uh, having impacts. But if oil prices stay high, they're still able to sell uh, at decent prices to places like India and China and keep their budget in line. Saudi Arabia, they're the biggest swing producer, but they're also trying to invest in their economy to wean itself off of the dependence on oil revenue. So they they want oil prices to you know stay uh, relatively robust. So I do think there's some geopolitical incentives for to keep oil prices high. Uh, now that the Fed has kind of declared victory on inflation, they don't really have a a reason to push oil prices down uh, even further. Same with the Biden administration. They don't want, they, they don't have an incentive to uh, release more from the strategic oil reserve. So I think from a political standpoint, you're definitely getting to levels that there's no real need 
uh, for prices to go down. And in fact, many players want prices to go up. And if you look at the economy, yes, economy is slowing. But we've said many times before, it takes a very bad recession to bring globally to bring oil price demand down. And clearly, we're not in a recession. We potentially could be one next year, but if it is, I think it's pretty clear it'd be it'd be fairly mild, uh, outside of some crazy shock. So, you know, to me, I see this as setting up for uh, a short covering rally. And there's a lot of support in these levels. You've already seen over the past couple of days, oil prices reversing a little bit. Uh, now, not dramatically, not anywhere that says, okay, this is a durable bottom. But if you can see some follow through in the next, you know, between now and year end, I definitely think that, that could be. Um, so in my mind, this is a little bit overdone. There's still a lot uh, TBD. Will they follow through in the new year with OPEC Plus? Will demand continue to soften? Uh, or or will you know we go into recession? Those things, I think, can actually create uh, lower prices. But to me, I think there's pretty good risk versus reward at these levels. Now, in the next invest talk, look into this question. Can the stock market rally offer an opportunity to execute a strategic chess move. Now, if the current stock market rally added profits to your portfolio, tax gain harvesting could help rebalance your assets or reduce future taxes. Yeah, that's tax gain harvesting, not tax loss harvesting, tax gain harvesting. We're going to dig into that story on Monday. But for now, I'm Justin Klein with Luke Guerrero, and we're ready to take your calls at 888-99-CHART. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It is official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Your objective is to work hard, plan well, and achieve financial freedom, right? You're in luck. Because Justin Klein is here now, ready to take your finance and investment questions. Call 888-99-CHART. Hi, Steve. Listen, Justin. It's Alex here from the UK. I have a question on DEER, ticker symbol DE. You've mentioned it a couple of times from previous questions. I have it in my portfolio, and I was reviewing it and trying to decide what to do. I've sat with it for, well, a couple of years now. Have a nice profit in it but obviously seen that the forecasts 
certainly not looking as favourable going into 2024. Um, I am about 25% up and I actually trimmed my position um, a little while ago when it was doing pretty well um, on the back of your advice. I'm thinking now, do I just hang on to about a half position now and sit on it for the next couple of years? Or is this a time where I am still relatively well up on it to sell the whole thing and look elsewhere for my capital. I'm mid-30s looking for something probably a bit higher risk um, with my risk tolerance and would love to get your view on what the company looks like and whether it's a hold, trim it further or just get rid of it. Thanks a lot and I look forward to your answer on the show. Great question. Recently, uh, their Deers earnings, they downgraded their fiscal 2024 outlook. So the stock took a bit of a hit on that. And Deer is a name, it's a large cap. 100 and what's the market cap? $111 billion. They have a good amount of debt in their balance sheet. That's one issue that I have. About 60-ish billion dollars in debt. It's a lot. It's a lot of debt. And the trend towards earnings of this year and next year continue to be downgraded, which I don't like, both due to its own outlook as well as analyst outlook. And I go back to what we talked about yesterday, which is rebalancing. And you're just starting to see the reemergence of small caps over large caaps. And talk about being in your mid-30s, you have a high risk tolerance, I think is a clear decision. I would be taking this capital and redeploying it into smaller names that have positive earnings trends as opposed to negative here. So while Deere, it's a good business, clearly in the short to medium term, it has a lot of headwinds. And it's certainly been underperforming the market since it's high in the summer. So... I would sell it and move into something in the small mid cap space. What about you, Luke? Yeah, I agree. I think you got to think about what you're looking for. And as you mentioned, you are more risk loving. You would love to take on some more risk, get some more return. You got a good profit from deer, sell into this rally, look, look to put it elsewhere. Thanks for the call. Now, on Fridays, we generally like to make time to fit in a quick rundown of, today, of this week's key benchmarks. The two-year yield closed at 4.449%, and that's down pretty substantially. Just five weeks ago, we were over 5% on the two-year. Just shows you that a couple rate cuts are now, a couple more rate cuts are priced in now compared to just a few weeks back. The 10 year, 3.917%. Yes, the 10 year with a three handle. It wasn't long ago that we were flirting with 5% on the 10 year. Never actually got there. It was 4.98998 or something like that. But effectively, it was 5%. So a big drop there. And gold now at 2032 an ounce. Up from $1,809 an ounce just about 75 weeks ago. Silver flirting with $24 per ounce up from $19.59 a little over a year ago. Oil, $71.57. We talked about that. Rebounding a bit from last week, not dramatically, but a little bit. The average 
Price of gasoline nationwide, $3.08. Down substantially. Substantially. 75 weeks ago, we were at $4.25. So down over a dollar in about a year and a half. We were at three fifty six just twenty eight weeks ago, about about six months ago, and here in California, four dollars and sixty three cents. Luke, we're paying up the nose for gasoline still, but down substantially. We uh, about a year ago, we were at five dollars and thirty four cents. Nebraska, lowest in the country, two dollars and eighty eight cents per gallon. That's uh, for comparison. So maybe Luke, maybe we should move to Nebraska. You know, my mom lives in Nebraska. Maybe I should have her mail me some gas. Hey, let's. I, I see an arbitrage opportunity. There we go. I take diesel. I'll get you your pre- premium gas. Is that what you have? Yes, premium. Definitely. I'll premium. get you premium. Well, let us know if you want me to send anybody else gas. But other than that, our next focus point today is about some words from Cliff Asnes, who is the head of AQR Capital Management. For those who don't know what AQR is, AQR was one of the industry's biggest hedge fund groups with $226 billion under management in 2018, now down to $98 billion after what many dubbed the quant winter, where a lot of systematic and model-driven strategies underperformed. But Cliff was in the news, Cliff to his friends, was in the news today because he is a student of Gene Fama. Gene Fama, the Nobel Prize winning economist behind the efficient markets hypothesis, and said that contrary to some people's belief, the proliferation of information to market participants has actually made markets less efficient. So that's an interesting concept because if you think about market efficiency, what that means is that the information that is public is incorporated into market prices almost instantaneously. And for me, and probably for you as well, Justin, I think of that to mean that in the long term, the market is, as Warren Buffett says, as Ben Graham would say, uh, a weighing machine, right? It's not a voting machine. And in the short term, you can certainly see those inefficiencies. But it's an interesting point he made that market participants who may not be as uh, able to handle complex situations as market professionals and the ubiquity of trading today, and all the information and the difficulty that people have of sifting through the signal and the noise to find, or or being able to tell the difference between signals and noise, may have made markets less efficient. What do you think about that? Uh, It sounds like he's a bit shell-shocked from the past couple of years, right? Where quants were doing really well. Like you said, it's one of the largest quant hedge funds in the world. And over a period of time, they did very well, and now they're not, you know? And that this happens across the market. There's very few, if any, strategies that work in all regimes. They all tend to wax and wane, and they can thrive, and they can sink just as easily. And in some ways, you're seeing that. Uh, you know, I'm a firm believer that as long as there are humans in the market, that markets will never be 100% efficient because humans are emotional beings. We're emotional beings. We are influenced by those emotions. Now, if we were robots and we were all just crunching data, and making decisions based on that data, 
then yeah, I think markets would be efficient. If every participant in the market was a quant hedge fund, markets would be efficient. But we know that that's not true. We know that, especially during COVID, people were chasing the GameStops of the world. They were buying into SPACs. They were, they were chasing story stocks. And that did well during that time. And then we know that making decisions based on emotions tends to backfire eventually. And that's, that's kind of what's happened. So it's not surprising that he's a bit shell-shocked. Because I think markets, when there's more individuals, the individual investors playing in those markets, chasing YOLO option bets, for example, buying names that don't make money but can spin a great story, it, it makes sense that markets become more efficient because they're not making decisions based on data. They're making decisions based on emotions. What do you feel about that? I think, again, you have to separate market efficiency in the long run from market efficiency in the short run. I think there's always well, isn't that what he's be, kind of saying. I mean, he's yeah, saying no, that, that, that is what he's saying. But I, years that's become less efficient. Well, th- is he just getting shaken off his conviction unnecessarily? I don't think he's getting shaken off his conviction. I think what he said before is that he always saw market efficiency as something that presents itself in the long term. And I don't think he is saying that he was wrong about markets being more efficient before. His, his main point, and a quote I really like, is the same people who think the ubiquity and immediacy of information must mean the prices are more accurate are the same people who 20 years ago thought that social media would make us like each other more. So I think his point is that oftentimes we see technological advancements or some advancements that we think may improve market conditions, the social interaction, stuff like that, and we misinterpret what the end results are going to be. And that actually inundating everybody with data and giving everybody a voice behind a computer that can manipulate those people's behaviors and opinions has maybe been a negative outcome for certainly short-term efficiency, and maybe efficiency in the long term as well. And that more data doesn't necessarily make it easier to make decisions. In some ways, you could argue it makes it harder because there's more coming at you and you can't figure out what is valuable and what isn't. Uh, and I, I think there's a certain aspect of algorithms. You know, you talked about social media and how well the algorithms of Facebook or Instagram how they work and their their job really is to prey on your human instincts and to get you more engaged and and they're going to follow your behavior and then prey on that humanity and in some ways you could say apps have done that Robinhood for example where they're gamifying the investment investing you know that can play into uh, investor behavior and make people even more prone to emotional decisions as opposed to less. So it's very interesting that he's coming up with this particular quote. Um, and I still, I still think there are, uh, there are too many humans involved for the markets to be, uh, fully efficient. 
Um, but interesting take and, and interesting uh, that he's changing somewhat his view. Now, the KP Premium Newsletter was finished today, and it will be distributed to subscribers tomorrow morning. But we have a preview. The market conditions section explains that the market, the markets have demonstrated renewed strength with indices nearing record highs. The S&P 500 is approaching an all-time high, currently less than 2% below its January 2022 record. This marks the seventh consecutive week of gains for major indices with the Dow up about 2.8%, SP 2.5, NASDAQ 2.9 on the week. Wall Street's rally this week followed the Federal Reserve's meeting on Wednesday where acknowledged progress in controlling inflation and hinted at possible rate cuts in 2024, further buoyed by stronger-than-expected November retail sales. While equity markets are rallying broadly, there's an unprecedented level of cash on the sidelines that could fuel further rises. $5.9 trillion to be exact. The swift rebound in equity since their October lows has led some investors to expect, express caution where the market's having re- risen too quickly. It's important to continue rebalancing your portfolio as often as necessary, trimming overweight positions into this sustained year-end rally. There's a lot more commentary details in the newsletter and perspective, and you can subscribe anytime at investtalk.com. Now, the stock ideas section, we highlight a global strategic business advisory and operations improvement consulting firm that specializes in benchmarking, best practices, and performance metrics to help clients optimize business processes and achieve operational excellence. It is a fundamentally strong company that has been growing earnings consistently over the last several years. We would want to see a pullback off current highs before adding to the position. We also looked at a global leader in the heating, ventilation, air conditioning, and refrigeration industry with a strong presence in both residential and commercial markets. It caters the needs of homeowners, businesses, and institutions that carry some debt on their books that we'll keep an eye on over the years, but keep them on your watch list going forward. And we name names in the newsletter. Now let's get back to the Invest Talk Voice Bank for a question that came in earlier from Walnut Creek, California. Hi, this is Dan from Walnut Creek. Thanks for taking my call. I've got a question. It's a tax question, and I know you guys don't always have the answers on these, but I thought you might know off the top of your head. So I've got some interest that I've um, that I've accumulated through, you know, like um, CDs and other items. I think I cashed in some bonds, and um, I also have some my stocks that I have um, losses on. So I'm wondering if I can use those losses against the interest to offset the interest, or does it work that way? I know you can use it against capital gains, but I wasn't too sure about the other. Thanks very much. Bye. Uh, Let's see. Luke, you want to take this one? Yeah, the short answer is no. So one is uh, income and the other is capital gains. And you cannot use capital gains losses to offset ordinary income. You're just going to have to eat the taxes there. Yeah, I think you can take up to, is it 3,000 of your losses to offset income? So I guess to some degree you can, right? But it, yeah, you're, you're not going. It's not a one for one, right? Uh, if you have a bunch of income, you can't just take a twenty thousand dollar loss and on on a, on a stock or something and then, and then offset that. But uh, yeah, it, it doesn't work that way. Short term or, or, or capital gains and capital losses uh, can only offset each other um, in and of itself, dollar for dollar. Now this is the best talk. 
We're almost to the weekend, but we have one final break. So if you're going to call, get your questions in now at 888 chart got a portfolio to grow and protect so get your finance and investment questions together and call steve peasley and justin klein they're ready with their unbiased answers invest talk 888-99-CHART hey guys it's nick from seattle i know you're generally bullish on energy and so i'm calling asking about exxon mobile i know it's a diversified oil and gas company. But this firm is really pulling back. And I see it's hitting a support level here around 98. And it looks to me the next support level is back at $80 a share. What do you think? Do you think we should hold on and buy energy and ExxonMobil in particular when it pulls back? Or do you think now is the time to start buying and adding more energy to our portfolio. Thanks. I'll look forward to uh, the call. Well, we'll kind of echo a sentiment from earlier. I do think that oil, this oil pullback is something to be finding a buying opportunity lower. I think that's certain bull. Uh, is Exxon the best play? I think it's the safer place because it's well diversified, both globally as well as the type of businesses that it operates i rather own a pure play EMP company if I'm trying to bet on the upside of oil. But as a safer name, you know, Exxon is, is Exxon. It's a, it, it's a quality name. Anything to add, Luke? Yeah, Exxon's not going anywhere. It's diversifying its business a little bit into renewables, which could be good, could be bad. But if you want to know why their price is uh, heading downward, just look at, a, look at a chart of it relative to the price of oil. That's, that's why Exxon's price is moving the way it is. That's how it's going to go. So if you're looking for, you know, a big name, Low risk, long term hold. Exxon's a good company. Energy's go. good stocks to be in. Now, at the end of last year, Luke, investors thought that recession was in the cards. Rates were ramped up higher into year end, and the economy started to slow. And if you go back a year prior to that, big tech was the clear winner of the pandemic. And while rates were Rising, it hadn't been really affected. But soon after, both notions were shattered. Recession obviously didn't happen this year. And last year, big tech was down dramatically. NASDAQ down over 33%. Now, as we go into this year end, it's pretty clear that a soft landing is what's priced in the markets. And... You know, is that a comfortable place to be? Being in the crowd is typically uncomfortable. And oftentimes, if that doesn't come to fruition, you can be punished pretty painfully, as short sellers were at the beginning of this year, and tech investors were last year. And you look at the median dot plot for the Fed, it's gone down from 5.1% at the end of next year to 4.6%. And obviously, the, the market is saying, okay, you know, that is, that's beautiful. They, they want the Fed to get off the neck of asset prices, and they've, they've done that to the nth degree. So, Luke, is a soft landing too priced in the markets at this point? 
Well, let's let's not. One of the most common things said in any prospectus or really within the industry itself writ large is past performance is not indicative of future results. So just mm-hmm. because they were wrong the past couple of years, the consensus was wrong, doesn't mean the consensus is wrong this time. I know that tends yeah. to be famous last words, but I think that overall, all signs are pointing towards a soft landing. And like you said, the danger there is that when all the bears are dead, like they seem to be now, that if the consensus doesn't happen, everybody feels the pain. Um, So that certainly is a risk. But luckily for you, as an independent market participant, you don't have to be all in on one hypothesis. Mm -hmm. You can hedge. You don't have to go you know, to the wall and buy the ARK Innovation ETF and, and think we're just going to be printing money. You don't, you don't have to do that. So there are ways to invest your money in such a way to protect yourself if the landing isn't as soft as people think it's going to be or if the landing is, in fact, incredibly hard. Yeah. And here's what I would say, though, is the market, I think, is just starting to shift. While the major indices are at... You know, like you said, near near all time highs, the overall underlying uh, trends in the market are just starting to shift. Right, small caps over large cap, value over growth; those style factors are just emerging. So, I think it could be very clear that uh, while the next year will probably be volatile, it'll be more of a year of a shift in the leadership of the market, and so. Uh, that can mean for you know large pullbacks, you know major breakdowns in different slices of the market. But I don't think that this is something that you go and sell everything because of it. But rebalancing uh, is always a prudent way to go. That about does it. I'm Justin Klein with Luke Carrero, and that completes another Invest Talk program. We thank you for listening. We encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads, which you can find anytime at iTunes, Spotify, Google Play. And be sure to rate and review on iTunes as well. And remember to check out our holiday giveaway contest for the chance to win a free autographed copy of Steve's book. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Enjoy your weekend. Invest Talk is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. Specifically, nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security. Because such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor firm which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is president and Justin Klein is chief executive officer of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial. Thank you for listening, and your comments and questions are welcome on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART.